Now, when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 21. Let's once again ask for God's help in a brief word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we need the help of the author of this word in order to be able to understand, to believe, and to apply what it says. It is clear, Lord, these concepts are not complex or difficult. The challenge is not with figuring out what it means. The challenge is with receiving it as the word of God. The challenge is with allowing it to correct and comfort and encourage and redirect us. Lord, for those things, we need the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to shine on our hearts, to enable us to see and to hear as we ought to see and hear. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that as you have gone to the trouble of writing your word down, now you would accompany its preaching with the Spirit that it might be profitable for everyone who is here, for everyone who is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. As you may remember, we very recently finished a series on the Gospel of Mark. And so we've looked at the parallel passage in Mark to this not too long ago. But, of course, one of the things that distinguishes the Gospels is that they will include some things that the other Gospels don't. And that's true of this parable of the two sons. Matthew tells us this parable. Mark does not. Luke does not. And, of course, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, you know that there are no parables, properly speaking, in the Gospel of John at all. So this is the only place in the Bible where we find this particular parable. Now, it's interesting the connection in which it comes. The Lord Jesus has taken authority in the temple. He has cleansed the temple, and he's been challenged, who gave you the right to do that? 
Well, he answered that challenge by saying, okay, you answer a question first. They weren't willing to answer his question about where did John derive his authority to baptize from. On the one hand, they knew they hadn't repented at the preaching of John. So if they said that John's preaching was from God, that John's authority to baptize was from God, they would stand self-condemned. On the other hand, with all these inconvenient people standing around, they also weren't willing to say, oh, well, John the Baptist just made it up. John the Baptist was just acting purely on human motivations. Well, then they were afraid of the reaction from the people because the bulk of the people thought that John was a prophet. We pointed this out when we were in the Gospel of Mark. This isn't a sincere reflection on the question. They're not trying to figure out what is the truthful way to answer this question. They're trying to figure out what is the strategic way to answer this question. And they wound up with the best strategy being to say, well, I don't know. We can't tell. Well, if they're going to play that strategic game, Jesus knows how to engage with them further. So he says to them, neither will I tell you. Now, he doesn't say, I don't know by what authority I do these things. He knew by what authority he did them. He's not dishonest, but he calls out their dishonesty. They say, well, we don't know. Well, what they really meant was we don't know how to answer in a way that doesn't get us into a bind. So really what they meant was we're not going to say. We refuse to answer that question in a meaningful way. So Jesus says, okay, neither will I tell you. You don't want to answer this question? I won't answer your question. And that's where it ends in the Gospel of Mark. Then he goes on to the parable of the wicked vine dressers. But in Matthew, we get the parable of the two sons first. The setup is very simple. There's a father, and he has two sons, and he has a vineyard. And as vineyards do, it required labor. I don't know if it was pruning. I don't know if it was harvesting. I don't know if it was fertilizing or what exactly was in mind here, but something needed to be done in the vineyard. So the father comes to his sons and he says to them, go work today in the vineyard, individually, separately for each one. Well, the first son says, I will not, or I don't want to. I'm sure that our kids never respond in that way when they're told to clean their room or wash the car or sweep the garage or do the dishes or anything like that, right? Even if you felt that way, you surely wouldn't come right out and say it. I don't want to. No. We don't know what the father's reaction was to that. The parable doesn't really tell us. So the first son said, I don't want to which is very rude, which is not respectful at all, which is not appropriate. The second son said, oh, yes, of course, sir, I'll be happy to. And then he didn't do anything about it. Now, the first son, after he was rude and disrespectful, reconsidered and actually did go back out into the vineyard and did work. The second son said, yes, of course, happy to and then continued to sit on the couch and play his Xbox 360, so to speak. So the question is, which of those two sons obeyed? Well, the people who are criticizing Jesus, the people who are asking him these trick questions, say the first one. 
Now, in one sense, of course, you could say neither one of them obeyed. Neither one of them really did what they were supposed to do. It's not okay to be rude and then still wash the dishes. You should wash the dishes without being rude first. But the one who said he didn't want to then did go work. So it was better than the one who said, oh, yes, of course, dear father, I'm happy to serve you in any way you choose. And then did nothing. There are some principles there. There's something that's baked in to that story. One principle is this. Words are important, but actions are more important. You might have heard the statement at one point or another, talk is cheap. Well, there's a sense in which that's very true. It's very easy to promise and not follow through. It's very easy to say yes, and then not hold up your end of the bargain. And that's a terrible thing to do. You get people's hopes up. You make them think they can count on you. They feel a sense of, oh, that's going to be taken care of. And then you don't follow through, and now what happens? Somebody else is left holding the bag. The father probably was not worried about the vineyard because the son said, yes, I'll go take care of it. And then he didn't. What does that do to the vineyard? What does that do to the family business? What does that do to the father's trust in his son? Words and actions are both important. We can't say words don't matter. Well, then people get the idea. It doesn't matter what I say. I'll just chatter and say whatever. It doesn't really make any difference. That's not true. Words are important. By your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. It is also found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. But in terms of showing who you are, in terms of following through, actions are more important than words. Words are important. Actions are even more important. That's one principle that we can draw out from this story. We can also draw out the principle that how you start is one thing, and how you end is another. The first son got off to a really bad start. I don't want to. But he wound up in much better shape than the other son. How you end is more important than how you begin. In other words, if you've already messed up, If you've already done the wrong thing, if your New Year's resolutions are already a fading memory, assuming you made any, if you've gotten off on the wrong foot, if this morning you got out on the wrong side of bed, how you end is more important than how you begin. It's not too late. You can change your mind. You can reconsider. You can start over. You can have a new beginning. Now, Jesus tells this story for a reason. He tells this story to apply it to the people, the chief priests, the elders who are asking him this question about John. And he goes on to apply it to them. They are like the second son 
in the parable. And so Jesus explains, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. And now he brings it back around to that question of John the Baptist that started this conversation. John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. When you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. Now, in those words, there's a couple of things. One is you have the opinion of Jesus with regard to John the Baptist. From where did John get his authority? Well, Jesus' answer is John got his authority from God. John came in the way of righteousness. John came doing what he was supposed to do. In other words, he was doing what God had instructed him to do, and repenting at the preaching of John involved entering the kingdom of God. So John was an agent of the kingdom of God. So you have Jesus' answer to the question he raised, from where was John's authority? But you also have Jesus' comment on these chief priests, these elders of the people, these leaders. Now, there's a contrast that he draws between the harlots, the prostitutes, and the tax collectors on the one hand, and the chief priests, the elders, on the other. And what that contrast was is illustrated by the story. They were all in Israel. They were all part of God's chosen people. But they were like two sons, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, They were like the first son, the one who said, I don't want to. I don't want to serve God. But then they changed their mind. Then they repented at the preaching of John. So they were like the son who said no and then went and obeyed anyway. Whereas the chief priests and the elders, they're like the son who said, oh, yes, of course, I'm happy to obey and then didn't. There's that contrast again between saying and doing, between what they said and how they followed through. Now, here too, there is something that's under the surface. And the assumption is none of these people are entirely right. The first son isn't right. He's rude and disrespectful before he changes his mind. The second son isn't right. He says he will, and then he doesn't. The point is not to say one of them is right and the other is wrong. The point is they're both wrong, although they're wrong in different ways. Now, Jesus tells this story to the chief priests and the elders. He wants them to know that they're in the wrong. From a social point of view, just looking at it in terms of who's a good neighbor, well, would you rather live next to a tax collector who's peering over at your stuff and making sure that you've paid your full amount? Would you want to live next door to a prostitute with all the traffic, all the coming and going, with all the disreputable things happening? Or would you rather live next to a chief priest, one of the elders of the people, somebody who is decent and respectable? Well, in social terms... We understand which is better and which is worse. But then what happens is you take that 
outward conformity. You take that respectability. You copy it over into the spiritual realm. And now you have people saying, well, I'm not a drunk like my neighbor, so I'm better than he is. I'm more acceptable to God than he is. I'm closer to the kingdom of God than he is. I don't need repentance. I don't need to change my mind. I'm okay because at least I'm better than that other guy. What a miserable worldview, and what a reduction of what God's law actually requires. There can be an enormous bubble of self-righteousness, and we can feel very good about ourselves because, after all, we're not like those people. Now, I deliberately used a vague phrase there. You fill in the blank. Who are those people to you? Who are the scum of the earth in your mind? In the society at the time that Jesus was there in Israel, the scum of the earth was tax collectors and prostitutes. Well, we live in a different society. Our scum of the earth is probably somebody a little bit different. But you think of who is the scum of the earth. In your mind, from your point of view, who do you instinctively feel disgusted and grossed out by? Now, Here's the message of this parable. You need God's mercy as much as those people. You need to repent as much as those people. I don't know who you're filling in that blank with. I know who I'm filling in that blank with, but I don't know who you're filling in that blank with. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because this is the reality Jesus does not say the prostitutes and the tax collectors are fine. They don't need to repent. They were openly, willfully defiant of God's law. But then when they heard the preaching of John, and of course not all of them, he's speaking about those who did repent. But when those who did repent heard the preaching of John and repented, they came into the kingdom of God. They were welcome in the kingdom of God, even though they were those people. Now, the chief priests and the elders would also be welcome in the kingdom of God if they will repent at the preaching of John. Their problem is in their self-righteousness, in their relative advantage in social virtue, they think that that's good enough. They think that they don't need anything. They think that when John came saying repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, he said, well, you people repent, but not the chief priests and the elders. But John's message was for everybody. There was not one person in Israel except for Jesus himself who did not need to repent. And in the same way, there is not one person sitting in this building this morning who does not need to repent. None of you are here in the kingdom of God because you're so good, because you're so holy, because you're so great. If you're in the kingdom of God at all, it's because of God's mercy, God's mercy bringing you to repent. The problem is not that our values are inverted and we ought to love the worst behaved people more than the best behaved people. That's not really the message of this parable, although sometimes it's taken that way. The real point here is that whatever your relative advantage over somebody else in external virtue, in social virtue, 
Spiritually speaking, you are bankrupt before God. You do not have a leg to stand on in the kingdom of God, except God's mercy. And the real problem with the chief priests, the elders of the people, it wasn't that they were worse in terms of their behavior than other people. It was that they didn't see the problem with themselves. The harlots, the tax collectors, repented and came into the kingdom of God at the preaching of John. They knew there was a problem. They were not able to pretend that everything was okay. But if you're a person who, in theory, could pretend that everything is okay, this passage is also for you. That is a fatal mistake. You see, when we extend this passage and bring it home to ourselves, we see what Jesus said in the parable. We see how he applied it to his audience. Well, then we need to take all of that and we need to extend it to our own hearts, to our own situations, to our own lives. When we do that, something becomes very clear. All of us have a problem. Both sons were wrong. One son was wrong for being openly defiant, and he needed to change his ways. The other son was wrong for being hypocritically compliant, and he needed to change his ways. So the presupposition, the starting point for this parable is that we're all wrong. We're all messed up. We've all gone astray in one way or another. Now, we haven't all gone astray in exactly the same way. There is a difference between the two sons. But the son who was openly, clearly rebellious and then changed is in a better situation than the son who said, of course, I'll do whatever you ask, and then didn't follow through. So let's be clear about this. Jesus is not praising tax collectors and prostitutes for their lifestyle. It's very clear that he's speaking about those who repented at the preaching of John, who believed the message of the gospel. This is not an endorsement of lifestyles that are in contradiction to the law of God, not even a little bit. People who live that way are excluded from the kingdom of God. You can read about that in Ephesians chapter 5 if you want to follow up more, if you want to see what is it that keeps people out of the kingdom of God. Well, Paul has a number of specifics there. The goal is not to say they're more righteous. The goal is just to say they understood that they were not righteous and so they repented. Now, if that describes you this morning, that you've said to God, no, I will not obey you, well, here's good news. How you begin is not as important as how you end. There is opportunity for a fresh start. You too can hear the message, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you repent, you will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. As Jesus said, Tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God. 
But maybe that doesn't describe you. Maybe you haven't openly rejected the law of God. Maybe you say you will obey, and yet then you don't. But you tell yourself, yeah, that message of repentance, that message of a need for mercy, that's for other people. That's not for me. I've always been honest in my business. I've always taken good care of my family. I've always worked hard. I've earned everything I have. First of all, that's not true, but let's say that I'm not going to convince you that it's not true. Let's say that you really are deeply persuaded of that. So what? Is that a righteousness that will stand before God? Are you really going to come before God's throne on judgment day and say, I was a hard worker. I wasn't as bad as those people. Is that what you're going to tell God as a reason to let you into the kingdom of God? Well, then you have no hope. That's not going to work. God is not going to be deceived by such a ridiculous claim. Jesus communicated this message to the chief priests, to the elders, to the very people who were trying to trip him up and trap him, to the very people who will turn against him and crucify him. And when he did that, it meant there was mercy for them too if they would just receive it. But what does it take to receive mercy? Well, it's very simple, and yet it's so very hard. It takes recognizing, admitting that you need mercy. You don't have to claim that you've been more reckless, more wild, more outrageous in your behavior than other people. It's not a competition. It doesn't even need to be a comparison. It just needs to be a recognition that you have no ground to stand on except mercy, that you need repentance. It is as necessary for you as for the greatest of sinners. Now, your specific list of what you're going to repent of is going to be different from the list of any other person in the world. That's fine. I don't care. And we don't need to compare those lists. We don't need to see, hey, I've got 27 items on my list and you've only got 26. Or you've got 29, man. I don't know about you. We don't need to do any of that. All that matters is that you would see None of us are right. You're not right. Whether you said you would defy God openly, whether you said you would obey him and didn't follow through, it's basically the same boat. You need mercy. You need repentance. Now, sometimes when the church has looked at teachings like this, They've gone too far in the direction of being sympathetic towards the openly rebellious, the openly defiant. Of course, we want all openly rebellious and defiant people to turn to the Lord, to enter into the kingdom of God. But we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that Jesus here shares this parable with the self-righteous. Those who know they're unrighteous, in one sense, are closer to the kingdom of God, right? Because they know they have a need. Those who are self-righteous are further away only in the sense that they're blind to their need. But open your eyes. The mercy 
that the Lord Jesus holds out, he's holding out to the chief priests and the elders. He's holding out to those who may be unaware of their need, may be willfully blind to their need. So whether you're here as seasoned in life, whether you're here as somebody in the prime of life, whether you're here as a child who is getting started, whether you're here with a rough background or a very pristine background, it doesn't matter. We're all on a level. We're all in the same boat. The kingdom of God has come near in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mercy is held out to the self-indulgent and to the self-righteous. Mercy is available to everybody who will believe the gospel. That will involve repentance. It will involve turning away from the open practice of sin. It will also involve turning away from relying on how good and gracious and upright you are. But it will involve repentance. It will involve a change of heart. But then that mercy is there. The kingdom of God is there. The work of the Lord Jesus is there. And so this morning, in the words of the Lord Jesus on another occasion, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But again, in the words of the Lord Jesus on another occasion, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen.